Bot Day was an O'Reilly conference featuring talks from some of the leading figures in the chatbot industry, which is a nascent industry, but it's actually quite an exciting industry, particularly for developers. Before I attended Bot Day, I knew that there were lots of applications for chatbots, but I didn't realize just how good the tooling had gotten. It's very easy to get started with a chatbot today, so if you are a developer and you have even a very basic idea uh, for a chatbot, I suggest checking out the videos from Bot Day, as they are a great resource for how to get started with a chatbot. It's really simple with the platforms and frameworks that are now available. And so when I was at the conference, I had a number of conversations with Adena Salinas, who hosts the Women in Tech show. We caught up during the coffee breaks, and and then we caught up again a few weeks after the conference to discuss our reflections on Bot Day, um, how important we thought bots might be in the future, and how developers might be interacting with the frameworks. Since this breaks the typical format that I do for Software Engineering Daily, there are no ads on this episode, and I'd love to hear your feedback. If you like this type of uh, conference discussion, then let me know. And if you don't like it, let me know as well. In any case, if you're looking for another great podcast that talks about tech, you can check out Adana's show, The Women in Tech Show. I'm here with Adana Salinas, the host of the Women in Tech show, and we are at Bot Day, O'Reilly Bot Day, and we are seeing some very interesting things on stage. Uh, we're out near the coffee area right now. So Adana, when you're, when you're watching these speakers, what are the questions that are coming to mind when you are seeing these people talk about bots and conversational interfaces and these things that we can be developing as software engineers? Well, my first thought was, how do I get started with uh, building a bot? What sort of tools do I need? Um, to what extent do I need AI? And the speaker right now... Pete Skamarok. Yes. Host of the O'Reilly Bots podcast. Yes. He, he was very good about that because he mentioned a variety of tools like Scikit-Learn, NumPy, which we a lot of us have heard of, and uh, TensorFlow. He also mentioned, don't use AI if you don't need to use AI. So don't use AI. So what are we? You don't need to. What are our bots doing if they're not AI? I thought if you're talking to a bot, that's by definition AI. That's it's a, a, that's actually a good question, but unfortunately, there were not a question. There were not questions at the end of this, right? So do you, do you have a sense if there's a Ruby? I guess what, what to answer your question, it could be a, a console type of application like, what do you want to order today? Pizza. What toppings? And you just list the list of toppings. So it's it's a bot, but it's not really AI. It's just listing you a menu. Oh, so it's just procedural. Yeah. That's okay. what I could think of. Is there a Ruby on Rails for building chatbots yet? Is there a super simple, like, way to get started and do chatbots as a developer? Ruby on Rails? Well, because Ruby on Rails I always use as the prototypical example of something that really lowered the barrier to entry 
for somebody that wants to get started building a web app. Many people built their first web app with Ruby on Rails because it's so easy, you're just like, Rails new, whatever, get started. And I'm wondering if there's the equivalent of the barrier lowering application framework for chatbots, where you can say, new chatbot, pizza bot, and then you just get started and super easy. They didn't mention a specific type of framework okay. like Ruby on Rails. What, what he said was uh, about GenSim, which is uh, for topic modeling for a chatbot. So what he said was that with this one, you can get up and running pretty quickly if, um, for modeling speech or something like that. A big emphasis was on te TensorFlow, though. Okay. Yeah, even though it's been out just for a year or okay. something. Yeah. Do you have any idea on how TensorFlow is actually used to do to build these? Because my understanding is you have a framework that does the texts, you know, where the the human is speaking. You receive the response and then you respond to it somehow. But then you also need some sort of backend system that's processing the interaction and making the overall system learn. Is that do, do you need like multiple sets of tools where you have TensorFlow that's doing that back-end learning and then you have something else on the front end that's just serving requests? That's what it sounds like because uh, TensorFlow is mostly for deep learning. Right. And uh, one of the things that uh, they mention is that now you can have it as a service or something if you don't want to host your own. TensorFlow is a service. Yeah. Yeah, this is Google's thing. Okay. But I think that that's just the deep learning portion. Do you have a sense? So, so it's like you have a bot, and you can use you know the, the Slack framework or the Microsoft bot framework. But like I mentioned before, it can be without AI. You can have a bot without AI. So this is just like TensorFlow is just plugging in AI to your bot, okay. which is specifically deep learning. OK. Now, when we talk about these different things, we have AI, we have machine learning, we have deep learning. Do you have any idea how these things break down? What is the Venn diagram between these three terms? Does machine learning overlap with, overlap with deep learning, overlaps with AI, or are these disjoint things? Yeah. Well, recently what I was reading about with uh, Tammy Everts that worked with Patrick Minan from Google on a system. They, they prototype using both deep learning and machine learning. So even though uh, for their specific use case, which I'm not going to talk in detail. Mind if I eased up on your answer? Yeah. Oh, if, please do. Even though for their use case, which um, deep learning was more effective, it was like 98% accurate. Machine learning was 96% accurate. But they describe deep learning as a black box. And in machine learning, they could actually see the relations between the features. Like what they, what they were building on was uh, using web performance metrics to find relations between those and a bounce rate and conversion rates. So they said uh, deep learning is just a black box to them. Right. This is consistent with what I've heard where you have deep learning is just you feed it labeled examples and you have the labeled, you have the system work out what is what is lead what are the features of those labels whereas with machine learning you define i guess you def, you don't well maybe you have to label it i'm not exactly sure but you define the features and then you can easily see uh relations between those features that's what i understood oh the yeah. relations between the features it's not a black box okay so we're so uh we're recording a podcast for no 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 please please so this is a live podcast or i mean it's not, not live. it's not live we're recording it now we'll air it later so you are lisa from o'reilly 
So we're from Software Engineering Daily. We're very grateful to O'Reilly for giving us free passes. Um, are you... Do you want to say something? No. <laughs> okay, Lisa is not willing to say anything. Okay, we're going to go to the next talk now and then see what kinds of interesting questions come up at that talk. I'm back with Adana Salinas. We're talking in another coffee break between sessions at Bot Day. Adana, how are you enjoying the sessions so far today? Good. We just uh, heard uh, Amir Shavat talking about a lot about uh, the Bot Toolkits. What did you think of that talk? What I thought was interesting about it was that the so earlier we were talking about the potential for the Ruby on Rails for bots, but it seems like where we are now, it's actually broken out into a bunch of different types of services. He talked about different sections of the bot stack that are broken into these different types of bot tools. Like, you need a hosting platform, you need, what was it, what did he say? The, there these different types of tools. Authoring tools, there's yeah. authoring tools, there's other tools. Which, it still wasn't super clear for mm -hmm. me what the point of the authoring tool was, but maybe you can ask him in your future interview yes, at I'm, Software Engineering Daily. I'm doing a show with Amir. He's the in charge of developer relations at Slack. One of the big takeaways from this talk was the the importance of prototyping. He he mentioned a couple of uh, tools to use for prototyping and the value, and uh, it could just prevent or help mitigate having bad bots because you'll, you'll have program managers involved, engineers involved, and the look and feel and the experience, and you can even simulate your talking to the bot by hard coding the, re the responses. Mm -hmm. So you get a feel also about the personality of the bot or things like that. So um, yeah, some of the ones he mentioned was a protobot, bot frame, walkie. And then what I understand, he also talked about the Watson, so he gave a demo, he, he played a YouTube video of the Watson conversational robot builder, which looked like you basically classify different things as entities or, for example, you, you, know, you can make a bot that is capable of recognizing food and recognizing synonyms for food in, in text format. Like if you said food, it might understand that's a synonym with meal and lunch. And what I thought was interesting about that framework, the IBM Watson framework that he was talking about, was it looked like something that you could build on even if you're not a developer. It, was, it looked like a way to build very robust chat interfaces. Even if you're not a software engineer, you just basically have to understand English. And what, what's cool about that is that... That's more about the AI portion of bots, though, right? Okay. Because he mentioned uh, Watson. Uh, Lewis, L-U-I-S, and also API.ai, yeah. recently acquired by Google, I think, or Wit.ai is another one. That was the Facebook acquisition. Yeah. So that you're touching more now on the AI portion of things. So th there were different things that he talked about, right? The first is the proto. What can you do for prototyping? And okay. the, the AI platforms, like you mentioned, Watson is a pretty big one. So the AI platform, how would you define that? That's like where you're defining the, the conversational flow? Exactly. is when you want to have more of a conversational uh, flow 
to a higher level because he also stressed towards the end that putting it at the beginning is a mistake. That, I'm not saying that's either right or wrong, but that, that's, that was his, his main statement at the end, that he had a, an example of a team somewhere, I don't know where, where they said uh, we realized putting it at the beginning was a mistake. So he's, he's uh, Amir, Amir, right? Yeah. He advised more of to fake it. Fake the AI at the beginning. So Watson is more about when your body is gonna do more complicated things or it's gonna be smarter, taking a broader um, range of topics. Okay. So that's what that was my take on it. So so here we're so the difference between so he was talking about Statsbot. He was talking about Statsbot, which is a bot from that's a bot built for Slack, and this is an entire business built on Slack where you can basically ask StatsBot for stats about your business in the chat interface. And I think what he was talking about was the people from StatsBot built AI into their product early on, meaning they tried to build a robust chat interface into their product early on when they should have just said, no, let's just build this very specific bot that only answers questions about stats. It doesn't try to do conversational AI. It, this goes back to what the, who, um, who was the speaker before Amir? Um, Kathy Pearl was talking about how you shouldn't fake it. Like, don't, like, if you're not conversational, don't fake it. So StatsBot perhaps should not have tried to fake its ability to be conversational. It should have just said. No, but they, they didn't fake it. They did plug in AI. This was more about, the way that I understood it is more about know what you really want. Maybe that goes back to the importance of prototyping because you will see at the beginning that we need to invest in AI because those things cost more, right? Wiring of services like Watson and I assume I'm not very familiar, but that was my take on it. Because otherwise you're saying, uh, Kathy contradicted saying don't fake it, whereas what is AI in this conversation? What is the definition of AI when we're talking about building a Nobody body? Nobody said a definition. And even the first presenter or the second was like, I'm going to use machine learning because AI, we're not even there yet. Okay. But what I understand in this context is using AI is that you're going to want to involve machine learning systems or deep learning systems. So that's what they're saying. We evaluate first if you're actually need it for what you want your bot to be used for. Right. See, this is what's counterintuitive for me because the systems like wit.ai and api.ai and the Watson conversational interface builder, whatever it's called, these things are not machine learning as far as I know. It's very, very procedural. You specify, uh, I'm building a travel bot and I'm going to specify destinations and uh, places I'm traveling from and prices of flights and hotels and I'm not going to use machine learning I'm just going to build a flat conversational interface that's what these things like API.ai and the Watson conversational builder are doing yeah but don't they have AI in their guts like that's how they were built do they okay I don't know we need to follow up on that but I I'm not sure about that well, I think uh, it's time for the next <laughs> Okay, we'll, we'll go to the next stop. Thanks, Adana. So it's been a week and a half since bot day, and I wanted to talk about 
the last section of bot day. We previously discussed the, f the first two sections. So let's talk about w what applications were presented in the last part of bot day. Jeff, can you describe what we saw? Yeah, we saw Joshua Browder, who created an app called Do Not Pay, which allows you to contest parking tickets in an automated fashion. So if you get a parking ticket, it becomes very push-button and easy to contest it. You take a picture of it, you answer some simple questions over a bot interface, and you have contested the, the parking ticket, whereas before it was, an, it was a frustrating manual process. I think you had to mail something in through snail mail. Um, and I actually thought Do Not Pay was probably the the best example of what we've seen from a bot, um, uh, you know, what, from a bot interface that we had something that we hadn't really seen in previous interfaces. I mean, other things feel sort of like just gradual changes from what we have today, but this felt like a real step change. You know, I've never seen something like that allows you to automatically contest a parking ticket. He obviously talked about some other stuff, um, some other applications that allow you to um, uh, cont contest other things, other legal matters that he's working on. So it was obviously a very inspiring story. Um, we also saw Lily Chang present about Zhao Ice, and I've been hearing about Zhao Ice for a while. It's this chatbot that Microsoft unleashed on WeChat, which is a popular Chinese chat product. And on Xiao Ice, there were users who were engaging with the bot in a really intimate fashion. They were talking to it and, tell, and telling it their most intimate thoughts. Um, they were saying, I love you to the bot. Uh, and that, that was interesting because it was something we do not, we do not see in the United States, at least as far as I know, not on a, not on a large scale. I mean, we see people uh, probably saying, I love you to bots on Ashley Madison, but that's m a much different story than, than Xiao Ice. So there was, so there were some significant cultural um, lessons from, from the Lily Chang talk about Xiao Ice. And, and then of course, you know, when, when, Microsoft tried to port Xiao the 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 Tay bot that that is now famous. This uh, bot that Microsoft unleashed on Twitter was very similar to. I think it was a very similar application in terms of how it worked, how it functioned to the Xiao Ice bot, but it was on Twitter, and there were quite different results. Um, that were quite alarming. Anybody who has not heard of the Tay bot, uh, I recommend go going to check it out. But long story short, um, the Tay bot quickly became a reflection of the um, the racism and the bigotry and the uh, sexism, the inappropriateness, the aggression, the hostility that are in the darkest corners of Twitter um, because those people latched on to Tay and they started messaging it and they started teaching it all the horrible things that you can uh, you can do as a human being, you do and say as a human being. So um, so Tay was, was quite a different result than Xiao Ice, um, even though they were the, the same code bases, which was just an interesting reflection of, um, of, these, uh, of these things. Uh, but anyway, those are, so those are those are I think the two main applications that we saw. Were those were those the only two, or were there other t other ones? Yeah, those are the ones that I can remember. And one of the things that I also liked about this last portion of the event was that previously, what what we see or what I 
personally knew about bots was it they're used either um, you know at work for chat ops for talking um, to servers to, uh, restarting them and the other application that I knew about was for marketing like I'm talking to a chat bot from Domino's or Nordstrom so seeing these two for example the first one is focused heavily on the people and making accessible legal processes for free like before you would either just pay for your ticket you know without even bothering look to look up the laws and the regulations of maybe it was a mistake and the sign wasn't clear the text was too small things like that so it's making expensive law processes to the people which i thought was was very very cool and the second one was more of a, a friend just talking to to a bot so kind of like her uh, the movie called her so that's why i thought this this last portion was very distinct and different from what i had known and seen about bots yeah well those those purposes like for chat ops are seem very well defined and they seem like things where it's very natural for us to think about a bot doing like restarting a server um, telling you that some builds have finished telling you what other people have done in a stand-up these are somewhat linear tasks um, and then and then you have this stuff that's much uh, more non-linear like you think of contesting a parking ticket uh, as a real world process that is probably harder to digitize but nonetheless joshua browder was able to digitize it and then of course you have her which is like some this that's like the the big dream of ai and this is like another um very uh you know hard to reach uh, application um yeah so have you thought of any interesting bot applications after reflecting for a few weeks because like um, you know, obviously we saw a wide variety of inspirational stuff there. You know, we saw Slack bots like the restart a server type of functionality or tell everybody in your stand-up functionality. And then we saw this, uh, you know, more futuristic stuff like contest a parking ticket or get legal services or have a companion. Um, have you been inspired in any way by these presentations that we saw? You know, I think we're going to start seeing more applications, hopefully in the government sector, where we're making services more accessible to people and things like that. That's what I, I'm projecting to, basically, improving governments throughout the world and, you know, embedding technology in, in the workflow for those things. Yeah, it's funny. I also saw more, you know, it was just after Bot Day, I started... Uh, I don't know, Uber released a, um, the way that they do chat um, and the way that they kind of update you on uh, your trip information, um, they improved the amount of chat that their servers have with you. So this was like a consumer device where um, Uber, you know, Uber's always done stuff where like, oh, it you know, sends you a message, your driver's on the way or, or your driver's outside waiting for you. Um, but they started sending me more stuff like, oh, your driver's caught. I think they sent me something like your driver is caught in traffic and it will be a while before uh, your driver arrives. And so I thought that was um, that was a nice little, you know, window into we're just going to see more and more of this stuff kind of augment 
the current functionality we have. Um, so, you know, okay, one, you know, I've, I have a few questions I, I wanted to talk to you about, but one thing I've been reflecting on is this discussion of what actually is AI, because I we heard people in the presentations at Bot Day talk about the term AI in a bunch of different contexts. Um, and then I talked to somebody since then um, who knows a lot about this area, and he and he basically said, oh, AI is just like a term you should never use because it is so loaded, it doesn't even mean anything. Um, what do you think about that term AI? They also mentioned, was it at Bot Day, one of the presenters said, I was asked to talk about, to talk about you know, AI with bots, but he said, I'm going to talk about machine learning because, yeah. So, so it was a similar perspective, I think. I think it's because there's still a lot of research going on and it's, uh, we're still figuring out the building blocks of this area. So it's not something that's already been defined. I think that's why. So a lot of, most of the focus is uh, machine learning and deep learning. People talk specifically about those things versus AI as a whole. Right, so like machine learning and deep learning being basically the tools that you're using to build your end product. And that's a lot more specific than AI, which AI seems to encompass like the tools and the end product and everything in between. Well, AI um, also encompasses, you know, machine learning and deep learning. Like AI is this big umbrella. Going back to the the do not pay stuff, Joshua Browder's um, app for contesting parking tickets, I thought it was pretty cool that the most innovative bot that we've seen was made by a teenager. I think it really goes to show that uh, the youth continue to make the most um, innovative breakthroughs on new products. You know, I think what I saw was more, I didn't actually focus on the age. It was more about the same theme where somebody has a problem, a personal problem, and they build a solution for themselves, which is what happened with Joshua. He mentioned he was getting these tickets, you know, parking tickets or whatever. And then at one point, his parents were like, you know what, we're not going to pay for these tickets. Like, you have to like a learn or like it was getting out of hand it's what it sounded like so he was like well what can I do like how can I solve this problem that I personally have so that's when he was like you know maybe I could how do you say it? contest the ticket yeah so so that's what happened like he had his problem and then he built a solution for himself and then found that other people could benefit from it which is what I hear a lot of in, for example, Startup School, which is another podcast and series of lectures where they are like, if you want to build something, we see that the best solutions come from people that actually experience the problem. So I think uh, Uber is a similar story. They were at a bar or something and they, they were like, oh, it would just be cool or Lyft. I'm not really sure which one of those, but it's the same roots. You have a problem and you want to solve it for yourself. Yeah, so speaking of that, um, we're both engineers, we're podcasters, you host the Women in Tech show. Uh, I know as an engineer, many times I would have the same recurrent issues, um, and you know the chat ops movement is, is designed to help make those recurring issues uh, responded to by a chat bot. Um, 
And do, do you ever think about, like, as a podcaster, like, how could a chatbot be helpful? Like, I mean, we do do the same things over and over again. We record audio in one place, we upload it to another place, you send it to an audio editor through, a, through an email. There's all these interfaces that we have to deal with through the podcasting process. Wouldn't it be cool if there were a chatbot that could unify all these things? It could just be, like, the podcasting workflow chatbot? I don't know about a chat, but I definitely see a system... For, for example, you have to, whenever I plug in the mic, I have to go to settings and make sure it selects the USB mic. Sometimes it doesn't. And then when I'm going to start recording, sometimes it's it selects the default laptop mic. So I have to manually select the mic. So th- those things could definitely be automated, but I'm not super sure about using a chat interface for for this particular process. I definitely see it more, like you mentioned, in uh, making a customer service better. Like you mentioned your case with Uber. Right. Okay, so just to wrap up, um, tomorrow, or on Tuesday, actually, in, in a couple of days, I'm talking to Eugenia Cuida, who created this chatbot after her friend passed away. Uh, this is called a memorial bot. So basically, yeah. So it was like after her friend passed away, she collected all these text messages that were written and made a deep learning uh, system that processed all those messages and then created a bot out of it. And it, you, you, you can chat with the bot, and it's kind of like talking to a ghost. Um, and right now it's kind of controversial. Perhaps it doesn't work very well, but um, do you think this is a sign of things to come? I guess this is on the same spectrum as Xiao Ice with the bot that's sort of like her. Um I mean, how far do you think we are from using bots to create likenesses of people that can keep us company? You know, I think when I saw this, it's just a way of expressing an emotion of a process. You know, the recently I was, I saw an article where several uh, years ago, a lot of years ago, whenever somebody would die, the whole family would take a family portrait with the dead body. And it, it was a uh, long exposure photographs. So, uh, you know, it's a different way of getting past a difficult time. But I can definitely see using others people, other people's messages to come up with bot personalities. For example, one that I can think of is the you did a show on Zuckerberg files. Like they have all these responses from Mark Zuckerberg. Like there could even be a bot that just talks like Mark Zuckerberg. So we can definitely take real individuals messaging, um, I don't know, files, yeah, to like learn how to build a personality, but I'm not sure. I mean, there are obviously privacy implications or it would have to be people that agree to, that opt in, you know, to share. Okay. Well, that sounds like a good place to stop. Um, it was great seeing you at Bot Day and uh, discussing the future of conversational interfaces. And uh, thanks again to O'Reilly. We both got tickets through our podcast, me through Software Engineering Daily, you through the Women in Tech show. Um, so, yeah, O'Reilly has been uh, a great partner in helping us learn and um kind of get a window into the future thank you for having me on the show it it was great talking to you also 
Thanks to Symphono for sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Symphono is a custom engineering shop where senior engineers tackle big tech challenges while learning from each other. Check it out at symphono.com slash sedaily. That's S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-O dot com slash sedaily. Thanks again, Symphono. Wow.